See it then. Really? Yeah. Oh, we'll see the big red button. Yes. Okay. Alright. Cheers. Cheers. That's a long preamble on Kona. I'm Envy. <laughs> Welcome to DiplomacyGames.com. <laughs> Just mucking around with the sound equipment. Last time we had a um, crash into the. We had a uh, recorder malfunction. So where we're, where we're uh, at recorder wise is uh, we're actually still back on the old recorder. But it's working again, and I kind of texted Kana and said, uh, like, the next day I'll put new batteries in, and it fucking started working. So, so we're keeping an eye on the red light. We're keeping an eye crossed. on the red light, because when the red light goes out, that means it's dead. And I think we're more, we've repositioned it so that we're noticing it now. You know, we hope. Being in a nice dark bar, it probably helps a little bit too. And where are we drinking? We're drinking at the... Um, Jolly, Jolly, Roger, Jolly Roger bar. It's a pirate bar. Yeah, it's a pirate thing bar. But not, not like, you know, not too Captain Jack, Jack Sparrow, is it? No, but the chairs are all wobbly, so it feels like you're on a pirate <laughs> boat. You feel like you're... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would if you've got a few more beers into you. Circling your beers, what have you got? I'm on Four Pines Pale Ale. Uh-huh, have you had a sip yet? I haven't had a money of mine yet. Cheers. Oh. What are you on? I'm on a Three Sheets Pale Ale from the Lord Nelson Brewery. Who's that? Sydney. Sydney. Mm. That's nice. Well, Nelson was the one who had his arm shot off, right? Chopped off. Shot off. Shot off. Amputated. Did he? Yeah. Was it anyone and then said he was armless? (laughs) Hey. What do you call a chicken with a bit of lettuce stuck on its beak? Oh. What do you call a chicken with a bit of lettuce stuck on its beak? Chicken Caesar salad. <laughs> <laughs> Little boy says to his mum, 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 can I have a dog for Christmas? She goes, no son, you'll have ham like everybody else. There we are, Christmas joke, because this is the Christmas show. It is our Christmas show. It is our Christmas show. Um, I don't know, should we... Should we? I, I think we should jump into our I think we should do the interview, interview first, and then we'll and come, then back come back to Christmas. Christmas festivities after that. <laughs> yeah. um, well, just today, we sat down with um, Dennis Peskov, Jordan Boyd Graber, and Slob. 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 Jeez, I think he's working out, Kana. Um, well, I, I did have a hard cider before, so... Um, this be Oh, anyway, but it was a, it's a great interview. Look, it was, um, you got into contact with these guys. They've written yep. a paper called It Takes Two to Lie, One to Lie and One to Listen. And it's um, basically about machine learning. It's about machine learning and around um, the ability for, that, for artificial intelligence to detect lies within a diplomacy game. So bring on Skynet. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of worried the way we're going at the moment, Kano. 
We've got the singularity is about to happen. <laughs> well, I can't think of a better game to learn to see. But hey, we'll talk about all that stuff. Yes. And the future later. So let's get into our to our interview with uh, with Dennis Jordan and Sloth. Uh, hope you enjoy it. It's it's a great interview. It's very interesting. I and certainly got a lot out of it. So I think I think this is one of those type of interviews that many people will kind of go, "Wow, I never even thought about how to apply certain skills and certain logic to my game." But you'll have to listen and find out. So here we go. Jordan, Dennis, and Sloth, welcome to the show. Welcome. Uh, I, I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you very much. So this is going to be an interesting one. So we, we hopefully we'll kind of coordinate this the right way so that we're not all talking all at once. Um, but that's that's the nature of diplomacy. Anyone, everyone, everyone wants to kind of have a yarn. So you, you're you're obviously coming mostly, with the exception of sloth, you, yourselves, um, Jordan and Dennis, are coming from an academic background and perspective, analysing the game. And your your research was particularly interesting. I found um, around that whole propensity to lie and the predictions of being able to lie. Um, Jordan, did you want to talk just a little bit around the background of the paper and where it came from and why it happened? Sure, absolutely. And maybe just as a little bit of prologue, while today I am more uh, of an academic in ancient history, when I was an undergrad, I did play diplomacy quite a bit. And I was an undergrad at the California Institute of Technology, and just about every weekend we played diplomacy in person. And then I stopped playing, and I focused on more traditional machine learning tasks, very mathematical stuff. And then in the last several years, I began researching a little bit more about computational social science, trying to get machines to understand the messy human uh, social connections that develop and shape our lives, particularly online. And when that started happening, one of the things that we noticed is that there aren't a lot of data sets where you know that someone is lying. And when someone is lying, they are being creative about it. And so you do have some data sets where you pay people uh, random folks online to write a fake review or to say something untrue, but they're not very creative about it. They, they aren't really putting their heart into lying. And we know because of things like fake news and uh, other uh, events going on, especially in the last couple of years, that there are people engaging in deceitful conversations online, but we really don't know the ground truth. Uh, when people are intentionally trying to deceive online and how many people are maybe propagating something unknowingly. And and this is what brought me back to diplomacy. I knew that there was a community of people who uh, really reveled in being very effective liars, and uh, they would be able to tell us when they were lying, and uh, they would be proud of it. And so that's what brought us here, and it uh, allowed uh, Dennis to build a really exciting data set uh, that is very useful for machine learning researchers to train algorithms to try to detect when people are being deceitful. And how did, how did that go? What was the, what was the outcome? 
I, I think Dennis should probably talk to uh, uh, that uh, precisely. And so, yeah, uh, uh, because he actually did the work. Okay. So, I mean, for me, it was a twofold benefit. One, I think it was interesting work in machine learning. And I do think it's one of the higher quality data sets from a NLP perspective that I've been involved in. So at the moment, it's my magnum opus from a academic perspective. But on a personal level, I think diplomacy is tied for the best game I've ever found in life. So this was an unexpected benefit in a PhD. One never tells you that you're going to pick up new hobbies while doing work. So this is a interesting uh, joint between life hobbies meeting academic interests. And then specifically on the research, we created a large data set. We had 17,000 messages. So these involved uh, 12 games total. And one thing that I, I guess, learned from becoming a diplomacy player myself is that not all diplomacy games are created equal. Um, so we worked with both online players as well as offline tournament players and some people who had never even played diplomacy before. Um, so I got to see three different pools. And I think having that mix created this interesting environment where people were communicating in interesting ways. And some people were communicating day and night, uh, sending paragraph long messages uh, and really being immersed uh, in the full game experience. So um, that's a problem that sometimes in random online games, uh, I don't have that experience. So I was happy it happened in my study. So, Dennis, maybe you could talk a little bit about the mechanics of how this actually worked, because I'm assuming the audience is familiar with diplomacy, but uh, uh, apart from the lucky few who uh, completed our study, how did you actually go about knowing whether someone was lying in a given interaction? Right. Yeah, so if you play on Backstabber or some other platform, you're never going to get an opportunity to indicate that you're lying, and also none of those platforms are going to willingly release all the data for better or for worse publicly. Um, so we set up a study where we, um, I specifically used Discord as a communication platform where people could message one another, and where we could, they could also, as they were talking, annotate in real time when they sent the message, I'm lying or I'm being truthful in this message. So they sent it, and it was important that they couldn't change their mind afterwards. If they felt bad and wanted, decided ex post facto that, oh, this actually wasn't a lie, maybe I like this person, um, we don't want their emotions to affect their linguistic information. So they provided this annotation when they sent the message. And then also on the receiving end, when players received the message, they were asked, do you think this is a lie or a truthful statement? And so we got two levels of input from the user and this was made to be as easy as possible. So you just click thumbs up or thumbs down on a message. So you didn't have to think too much about it. It was pretty much a natural part of the process. And so in addition to writing these natural diplomacy messages, you also had to think a little bit about, am I lying in this moment or not? Which in diplomacy is a complicated question. It sure is actually. That, this, this might be a good point to bring Sloth into the conversation as one of the players who were involved. Um, Sloth, from your from your perspective, actually being involved in the game, how was that interface and that ability to actually make the judgment call about whether you were being honest and sincere or whether you were lying? Because as a diplomacy player, I'm sure you know we often 
coat, a, you know, a kernel of lie amongst a whole heap of truth. Backstabber, I was already pretty familiar with. That's where we usually play our gunboat games. <clears throat> so that wasn't a new platform for me, and that worked quite well. Um, Discord, I have a hard time connecting with. We've used it for a couple virtual tournaments, but I'm by nature a face-to-face -face player. I go to the the face-to-face -face tournaments and and don't play negotiation games online. So that aspect was a, a little awkward. But in terms of evaluating when I was lying as a face-to-face long-time player, that was actually pretty natural and easy in the sense that I would very rarely outright lie um, <clears throat> in a diplomacy game around moves, uh, much more gray areas of shading and intent. But, um, you know, I, I find that I personally don't like to outright lie in the game very much. And how many games did you play within the, the actual um, the, the study? Was it one or two? Or Oh, I, I've lost count. I think it was four or five. Uh, Dennis could probably confirm that. Okay. So you were truthful the whole time? Not the whole time, but more often than not, I would be truthful. Okay. To what extent were you able to, or did you get any feedback from the research team about to what extent your predictions of lies were accurate from other players? The feedback on that was interesting. I, you know, I feel like my accuracy on predicting it was eh, around average. There were certain players that were much better at detecting the lies than I was, but also ones that, you know, were far lower on the accuracy scale. Okay, cool. Uh, and just as a question, um, do you play online at all? I play Gunboat online a lot, and um, I've played a few of the virtual tournaments online. Okay. When, when you play online, where do you play normally? We play on Backstabber, and we've experimented negotiation through either Discord or through Cisco Teams. Okay, cool. Um, so I suppose going back to, to Dennis around just that, that feedback loop there around to what extent players were able to predict uh, accurately, you know, from what I read in the paper, it sounded like that the level of prediction from humans was not too dissimilar from the level of prediction inaccuracy from the actual IA that you developed. Did you want to talk a little bit about that and what went behind that um I'll call it an engine, for lack of a better word, because there are a number of different factors that determined a, a prediction about whether anything was a lie or not. Yes, of course. So for, I guess I would use the term machine learning model, and in, we tried a couple of different models, and in, almost, in, in all of the cases, you take data, and then you train a model based on that data. Um, so as a disclaimer, a lot of this is dependent on the specific messages that we saw. So for any machine learning task, it's important to have a representative sample. So it was very important to try to get as many games as possible. It was very important to try to get different users in the It was also important to get players that were being creative. So for example, imagine you had very lazy players. Maybe the, these weren't players who were playing diplomacy for fun, but they were being paid to do it, and they would write like one word messages or they copy and pasted the same things over and over. Uh, so like these are all factors that are important when you train this model. And because we had roughly 17,000 messages, we could create a part of our data as a train set. So say we took 13,000 messages, we trained the model on that. 
and then we could train the best model um, using the remaining data as a test set. And, and with that, in, oh, yes. sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, and going back uh, to Ambi's original point, even though the absolute numbers are similar, uh, I don't believe that what humans and computers actually look at are all that similar. Uh, computers can focus more on ticks that individual players have that uh, are tells, uh, and they can focus on broad patterns that they're able to see that, that humans cannot, uh, particularly when it comes to like the overall volume of messages and things like that. I think that humans are much more attuned to the very nuanced cues and the logical implications of what people are saying, and computers simply cannot do that. And so one thing that we're looking forward to in the future is to have a mix of human and machine working together, and perhaps if the machine can surface some of the cues that might uh, indicate that someone is lying, that combined with a human's higher level reasoning, that you might get a better overall ability to detect lies. So, I mean, I recall in the paper there was like a section that dealt around the whole concept about detecting lies and what went into that uh, machine learning to, to, to predict that. I mean, there were a number of different things from, you know, there was something dealing about, you know, the harbingers, certain words that people use were more likely to indicate truthfulness or a lie. Um, there were certain things about the actual um, word sequencing that would kind of indicate uh, uh, propensity to lie. Um, you know, how an actual player was versus another player when it came to the power dynamics, you know, how many extra supply centers were they above the other? Um, and I think there might have been a few other things as well that came into, came into play. But look, I think you guys obviously, <laughs> you, you did the research, did you a bit around, uh, as far as our listeners as diplomacy players, what are the type of things they should be mindful of uh, when it comes to their own ability to predict a lie from another player? Or, may, or to craft a better lie so that they can uh, get away with it. Yes. So one of my big conclusions is that both humans and machines have quite a while to go. Catching lies is difficult. And if you think about this, this is intuitive. If you lied, the, the metaphorical boy who cries wolf will eventually not be believed. And there were users in the study who lied at a rate of up to 20%. Um, and other players, I think especially a lot of the more strategic in-person players, were much more conservative about being caught in the lie in the first place. Um, so it really, there's a meta strategy where do you even want to lie in the first place? And I guess I've been inspired in my own diplomacy strategy by watching Chris Martin's series on how to play diplomacy. And one of his strategies there is if you're going to stab someone, make it a good stab. And I think if you're going with a blatant lie, you better get something out of it. So there were, um, there were decision points about when you lie for the first time. So um, most of the lies came later on in the game. Uh, if you look in the paper, there's a big chart of one of the games. And it's this, uh, there was a fairly dominant player. And then when there was a crucial moment, that's when you lie. You don't start immediately lying to all your neighbors and break their trust off the bat. So I think that was the, there's a big situational dimension. Who you lie to definitely matters. For example, if you're England, you probably don't get too much from lying for no reason and no gain to Turkey. Uh, whereas, you know, if there's a crucial lie to be told 
to France, that might be a completely different strategic decision. And then with the messages, um, so one caveat is that people use different language. Um, so this study had different demographics, uh, different experience levels, and like realistically, some people are very casual. Some people wrote three paragraph long messages. Uh, there are a couple of fun charts in the paper about that. So it's hard to say that only write this type of message. I think this depends on player by player style. And from a machine learning perspective, I think the goal is just to get as much varied data as possible. So if I had every diplomacy player in the world play 100 games, it would be a, probably a stronger model than 12 games with roughly 80 players. Um, so like that's something that, like, so Sloth has, is one example of a player. Uh, you have maybe some features that are relevant to Sloth, like playing in person and having a lot of experience in how he crafts his lies. So I think for a player who is just starting off, maybe you're learning on, in online interactions. Those are also quite different. Um, so it's hard. There is no definite conclusion on, say, only very short things or only mention the Black Sea or only, you know, talk to Russia in your negotiations. There was no outstanding only do this conclusion. Uh, because both humans and machines are not catching all these lies. Right, but still, there are some patterns. And, and so, uh, at the risk of overgeneralizing, there, there are some patterns that we saw. And some of this goes back to, to previous research uh, that uh, Christian, another co-author, and I did um, in a previous paper where we had a slightly larger data set. Um, and some patterns that we saw there is uh, because people like sloth uh, don't like lying, and most people don't like lying. Um, they avoided situations that caused them to lie, and this itself was a signal that maybe some sort of betrayal is going to happen. And so, for example, you, when you're about to lie to someone, you start sending fewer messages because it becomes more difficult to talk to that person, so you, you hold back uh, so that you don't have to lie. Uh, you also stop talking about the future, because if you know uh, that uh, you're going to uh, break this relationship and betray them in the future, you stop talking about the future because only bad things, only lies can happen then. And uh, this is also connected to um, a previous uh, work on marriage counseling. And so before a divorce, people stop talking about the future, even though the rest of their lives go on as, as normal. Uh, another thing that people uh, did a little bit more is they use more positive sentiment words like great, wonderful, fantastic, uh, and that is a little bit correlated with an upcoming betrayal as well as an increase in politeness, uh, particularly from the victim. And, and part of this uh, is, goes both ways, that uh, uh, if you as a victim are anticipating a lie, you can start triggering other behavior that might uh, cause a betrayal or a lie in the future. My, my personal favorite was that sincerely is often insincere. <laughs> um, th there was actually in that section, I think, something about, you know, if, if players begin to, um, uh, if lies can be detected when they, they're waxing uh, prolifically, uh, perhaps the best way to avoid detection is to be terse and to the point. Was there a, um, when something like that happened, when people go into a lot of detail, is that more 
their normal chat behavior is average and then all of a sudden a lot of stuff comes up and then that maybe shows an indication to lie? Yes, I guess. So what was interesting is being the game master of all these, I could see how relationships developed in real time. And one thing that often happened is omissions. So for example, if someone has placed quite nefarious moves, maybe rather than saying something, they say nothing at all. Um, Because it's perhaps easier to uh, not give a tell of some sort if you don't bother writing anything in the first place. And then uh, a lot of um, excuses revolved around the fact of technical issues. So, and this is something that you can't do in an in-person game uh, because it's less convincing to say, sorry, work came up and I didn't change my moves in time. Or darn backstabber, I, I for sure changed my moves. And I think, um, Slav, was that you who genuinely tried to change your moves a couple of times and then lost the trust of everyone? Sloth, you there? Sloth's disappeared. Sloth's disappeared again. Uh, okay, but that was one of the most um, amusing things to watch from a third-person perspective where yeah. uh, one of the players had genuinely made tac- technical snafus where, um, so backstabber, you have to place your orders and then you have to click finalize. So it's very easy to place your orders and then never click finalize and then this happened two seasons in a row in uh, fall 1901 and then spring 1902 and up until this point uh, they had persuaded all their neighbors to gang up against their rival and then immediately once that happened twice everyone decided all right that player is done and no matter what that player said um, they couldn't be persuasive anymore so a lot of it does boil down to actions rather than just words. Um, so one of the things we studied in addition to the linguistics was the power dynamics. So for example, um, does the language change and does the ratio of lies and the perception of lies change if somebody maybe has eight more dots than you right next door? And I guess from personally playing diplomacy, that definitely feels like a very different relationship than if you're, um, you know, France and England figuring things out at the beginning of the game. There's, there's a lot of things that you've covered that I want to talk about. Briefly, if I can just go back to the technical issues. Um, yes. I've had exactly the same thing happen to me in the past in a game where uh, Captain Meme, I think Marcus um, Zaliskis, is um, going to basically did exactly the same thing around a technical issue that this was a massive stab on me. So you're 100% correct on that. But I think the same thing can occur actually in face-to-face games. And we, we had examples of this, I think, on our Twitter feed where people would say, oh, you know, that they made themselves unavailable by going to the toilet and things like that to avoid having that conversation. And, and I admit I've actually pulled the same, um, same <laughs> trick before. Uh, so, yes, 100%, it does actually happen in real life. It just takes on a different, um, a different um, uh, representation. Um. A couple of things within the actual um, the paper. It talks around. I think that the the ability for human players to predict whether a lie or not, um, and also the um, the artificial intelligence ability to accurately predict the lie. Both were around five um, percent, roughly. So around about five five percent of all messages were um, a, a lie or predicted to be a lie. Was there? And I couldn't I couldn't actually see this in the paper. Was there a single? Was there actually? Uh, points of time in the 
progression of a game, you know, from the openings to the mid game towards the the end game, where lying was more um, more likely to occur. Yes, so I think uh, definitely mid game because in the so you either have to commit and maybe if you're gonna st- gang up on Turkey in the very beginning, then you lie off the bat. But otherwise, you're building relationships. And then when you have an established relationship, maybe you're Italy and you've been working with Austria for a long period of time. Uh, then at some moment, you're going to want to pull off a big stab and you're going to have to consciously lie at some moment because uh, you need some explanation as to why you're not moving your fleet westwards. Something has to be explained at some moment. So you're even if you are the... A player like Sloth that doesn't like lying, you're at some point going to be forced into a conversation where you have no choice but to lie, at least to some degree. And then also at the very end, usually there's a pretty, you either have established relationships uh, or maybe you're too dominant and nobody wants to talk to you in the first place. So your lies are no longer convincing. So it has to be in that moment of the, the climax of the diplomacy game where the lies um, come out naturally simply because there's no choice. Although there are counterexamples, as with anything, some people just enjoy lying and they lie all the time. And so <laughs> some people lie just to build a rapport with other players to create a stronger alliance. And uh, they're really good at lying and they were able to do it well. I did actually like at one point of time in the paper, I think there was a reference made about um, people's propensity in the online environment to lie and, and that they won't admit to it very often if they're like, you know, lawyers or if they're creating online dating <laughs> profiles. But it's always like diplomacy players revel in the ability to lie at certain key strategic times and are quite proud to share it afterwards. Um Sloth, I think you've mentioned before that uh, via chat that you you may have your microphone working. Do, do you recall what we were talking about before around that? Was it around technical issues at the time? So yeah, speaking of technical issues, yeah, it was um, it was less a technical issue and more a sleep deprivation issue, in that I got stuck on a couple of software releases and couldn't get my my orders in and kept forgetting to to hit the submit. So yeah, that was a fun cycle. Actually, that's a really good point because often within the online environment, real life gets in the way. If you're at, if you're at a face to face game, you 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 know you you're stuck there theoretically for you know four or five hours plus. Um, so your your time is dedicated, with the exception of you know buddy people emailing you or texting you or something like that. Within the within the online environment, though, often with game phases that can be twenty four hours, forty eight hours, or something like that real life can get in the way. Was there any uh, more likelihood that people would blame real life as an actual crutch for a lie? Or was that usually quite truthful? It, it went both ways. And I watched this in person, uh, just in real time. And I think it depends a lot on the player. Uh, so it's it's a very convenient excuse. So I lump in the, both the technical and the real life excuse as probably the most frequent structure because you don't want to very few people admit it point blank sorry i was lying to you they often say uh, i like the, the i wanted to place my orders but then i didn't change it or work came up was a very frequent excuse and then one interesting thing i guess in, in from a scientific perspective is 
people also have a different gradation of what is a lie. So you can definitely tell some people were just had a slightly different threshold for saying something is a clear lie or not. Um, so this was a big decision point in the study as well, because we only had it as a binary choice of is this a lie or not? We were considering making it a ternary choice, like maybe is this a lie or is this a truth or is this neutral? Um, but given how much variation there was person to person in uh, just with two choices, it's interesting uh, to think about like how you even design lying in the first place. So, and like, is lying the ultimate question you want to ask? Like, is lying, like even choosing what word to use? So we used lying, but maybe deceiving would have had different results. Uh, so like, it, there's definitely a, um, and then also uh, one of the things was I asked demographic questions. So um, I asked users before they joined, how good of a liar do you think you are? And then how good do you think you are at perceiving lies? And interestingly, uh, most people were above average liars as self-evaluated. Self, um, and then people thought they would also be above average at detecting lies, um, which I guess leads to uh, implications of people having a heightened um, comfort for so if you think of cybersecurity implications, right? If everyone thinks, oh, I'll be great at detecting a lie, um, then maybe it's easier to fool people than they think. So, one thing that kind of jumped out at me in some of this discussion is the thing that keeps coming up of people don't like to lie to someone, especially face to face. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's a little more than that. It's people don't want to be caught lying to someone. So, and this fell a little bit outside the scope of this exercise because we didn't go through the whole draw vote experience. But in my experience in a lot of tournaments, most of the lying actually happens around draw votes because they're anonymous. You can't be caught. You're not going to have moves that show you were lying about what you said. Okay. Um, jump Kane in. has put his hand up. What, what, would, what would you like to ask Kane? I just, I just want to say, well, I wish I'd had this conversation about a week ago with you guys because, you know, some of these points that you've raised around, you know, message length, you know, talking about future moves, coordination, um, there's that correlation between great and fantastic and being aware of omissions. That would have really helped me in a most recent game um, where I've just been stabbed relentlessly by my neighbours. Um, <laughs> so I just like like a big shout out and a thank you to that. Um, just from a from a more um, like a broader perspective there, where that discussion around that deceitful language online is that is that kind of where this research is aimed towards? Is that um, moving forward into the future the the language use on the internet um, how, how do you how do you sort of see this machine learning to evolve moving forward that's to any of you that's um, it's an open question uh, I, I guess I'll take a stab uh, 
Absolutely, our goal is not just make a bot to play diplomacy or to detect lies on diplomacy, as fun as that is. We want to have an impact more broadly. And I think one of the major challenges of the 21st century is making sure that we have a and uh, societally useful uh, place to have discourse online. And a huge problem, as we've seen around the world, is there's a lot of disinformation online. People are uh, putting out information that is not true, and uh, we need to have ways to counteract that. Technology is a tool for misinformation and disinformation, but technology can also help prevent that. And where diplomacy, I think, can teach us a lesson is that if you have a city that is willing to both be cognizant that it lies and is willing to use its creativity to help craft lies and tell you the truth about when they're lying, we can use that for good. And uh, one of the things that we're looking at is how to create uh, better environments that have the same flavor of uh, diplomacy where you have uh, lying uh, and to get a higher proportion of lies because diplomacy is a good setting, but it's not the perfect setting. And so we would like to have something that's a little closer to disinformation and a higher proportion of lies and crafting a new game that has the flavor of diplomacy, but uh, maybe has a higher proportion of lies. And with that, hopefully we can uh, use that as a tool to help people detect when, say, Crazy Uncle Bob is saying something that isn't true online or random uh, username is perhaps not who they say they are. Some sort of um, real-time detection system for when you're scrolling through your Twitter feed sort of deal. Right, exactly. Or, uh, something that uh, helps you uh, get the appropriate information. So if a person says uh, uh, that uh, uh, this uh, makes some claim that isn't substantiated, perhaps they can find the relevant uh, cues and signals so that you can make a more informed decision and you're not just trusting your gut. That's really but I, I can definitely see a lot of societal benefits to, you know, a general user of the internet being able to, you know, hover over, hover their mouse over some information and it sort of shows up as saying this may be um, deceitful language or ambiguous language or there may be mistruths involved in this. Well, Did, are, are we actually seeing that already, though, where you have, for example, Twitter and others who will kind of, you know, label a message as being, you know, this may be inaccurate or whatever like that? I don't know whether that's actually happening within a... A machine language, um, you know, an AI is doing that, or somebody is just checking certain high-profile accounts, and um, you know, as a result of that, kind of making the call that, yeah, look, there's there's questionable um, content in this about whether it's accurate or not. Um, that probably wasn't a question; that was just a statement, I think. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, and 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 this is what makes it so difficult, uh, and and why we want to have a human-machine team doing this. And so, at the moment. Um, as far as I know, all of the companies are not using uh, purely automated systems. There's there's still a human in the loop. 
because of legal liability and uh, they're, they're worried about having false positives. And so what they're focusing on is uh, situations um, to help a human. And so that's exactly what we want to do as well, to build a tool so that a human can be flagging the things that are untrue. Actually, when you think about that, there's, there's um, within particularly social media, there's potentially an opportunity there for this type of uh, research to help drive um, um, the, the, the detection, I suppose, of fake news so that people can actually jump in on that uh, from those companies and just flag it, remove it, what happens to be the case. Um, I, I'm very conscious, Jordan, that you're short of time. I've got one more question for you before you, you chuff off. Um, Kana, do you have a question for Jordan or can it wait a little bit longer? Um, this one's for Jordan or Dennis or Slob. Um, has has any of you sort of approached any of the larger data sets that are out there, like the ones that I would imagine would sort of exist on web diplomacy or play diplomacy? Uh, yeah, so that's actually where, so we have a previous paper uh, from 2015 that focuses not on lying, where we didn't know if people were lying, but on betrayal. And so on that paper, we could detect when people betrayed each other. So basically, you had uh, some sort of support moves in the past, and then at some point in the future, you attack each other. And so we were able to detect betrayal. And so some of the things that I talked about before about uh, the features that led to betrayal, uh, we were able to use uh, some of those larger data sets and we looked at that. But the major problem there is that we didn't know uh, when people lying and when they were uh, able to detect that they were being lied to. Sometimes when you get betrayed, you know it's coming. Like uh, somebody says, hey, I'm going to attack you now, uh, or hey, uh, uh, I don't think I can support you, and uh, then you kind of suspect, uh-oh, here it comes, I've been waiting for it, uh, here comes the stab. And we didn't quite know how people modulated their language uh, because we we didn't have the ground truth of when people were lying and when people could detect the lies. And that's why Dennis needed to go through all this trouble to create this really uh, exciting data set where we actually know someone's internal state. And the previous data set uh, that we used was a lot like the Wild West of the web today. We know that some people are bad actors and we know that some bad things happen, but we didn't know what they were thinking. And uh, that's what Dennis allowed us to get with this innovation. And it's a smaller data set, but one that we hope to grow uh, so that we'll be able to do uh, more in-depth research. Cool. Um, Jordan, one last question from, from myself. And this wasn't in the paper, so I don't know whether it was considered as part of that um, that MLP trying to work out a an approach to identify a lie or not. The one thing I would have thought probably would have been good to know would be a, a connection, I guess, between what is being said and what is actually physically happening on the board. So in other words, if I'm France and you're Germany and you're busy kind of fighting Russia and, um, you know, I've got a, an army in Burgundy and I've got an army in Belgium, but Holland is vacant and Munich is vacant, whether there was a relation potentially between the, the words that people would use, i.e. a lie, and their ability to just kind of just waltz on in and stab. I, I wasn't sure if, if that had been factored in potentially as a, um, a way of assessing a lie or not, or whether you thought about that for the future. So uh, first part of the question, uh, 
did we do that? No. Uh, one reason is that we wanted this to be relatively more general and we didn't want this to just be research on diplomacy. So we encoded it in terms of this power differential. And so that's really the only signal from the board that we have. How many supply centers do you have? And if there's a big differential, then that gives the person with more power a little bit more license to lie, uh, we found. On the other hand, yes, it is something that we would like to look at. And one goal that we would like to get to is to be able to have a bot that can generate text online and to play. And one first step going in that direction is being able to figure out whether someone's statements about what they're going to do in the future line up with what they actually do. And for that, we would need to have a better sense of what uh, the board is and how people refer to the board. So that ab is absolutely something that we're interested in taking a look at in the future. And to combine this with uh, a bot that could play online and could also hopefully lie to you online. Scary. <laughs> Jordan, I know you've There have also been two fascinating papers that have come out recently studying diplomacy from a purely theoretical uh, move point of view, which I think gets at those questions a little bit where there, there's no language used, it's just the gunboat variations, and seeing strategically at what point should you make each move. So that's certainly, like, right, for example, like, if a strategy in the, like, the opening strategy for Russia is always going to involve something with the Black Sea one way or the other. Um, that's always going to have to be decided. Um, but that also makes some of the research less generalizable. So if you're trying to create a bot that's learning about language and just about being deceptive. You don't want it to learn something that's tailored to always claiming to want to bounce in the Black Sea, because that would not be applicable for the other six countries. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Jordan, I think you, you probably need to go. So um, I'd like to thank you for your time. If you need to, to pop out now. Yes, uh, uh, thank you so much uh, for having us. And I'm sure uh, Dennis can answer all of your questions. And uh, thank you for letting me crash the party for as long as I did. <laughs> no worries at all. Thanks so much. Thank you. Um, so, so, Dennis, you, you're, you're left holding the bag. Um, actually, on, on what was just said before, I mean, were there actually any zones where people were more likely to lie about, like Black Sea as an example, or English Channel, or anything like that? Indeed. So in the paper, I commented the ones that stood out to me were uh, so Budapest and Sevastopol were more likely to be associated with lies. And then Berlin was more likely to be perceived as truthful. And um, one thing as humans is we really like explaining things. So for my personal play, I thought the first category were the ones that were slightly more likely to be contested relative to being more secure, um, at least in their early to middle game. And um, the other thing that I uh, got a great insight in is seeing these games happen. So I have 80 feedbacks of post-game uh, discussions, and I asked people, who did you stab and who were you stabbed by? Um, so this gets at the more macro uh, question of are certain countries simply less fortunate than others. And I guess to put you on the spot, who do you think was the most frequently stabbed country? Austria. Italy. Ooh, okay, so Austria was tied for third place. 
Italy was actually second least stabbed country in this set of games. The number one yeah. stabbed country was Russia, and number two was Turkey. So I think that had to do a lot with the ganging up dynamics. And so there is also a mild financial incentive in this game, which might not happen in uh, playing a casual online backstabber game with random people. So, like, you had an incentive to knock people out. It was a very small incentive. Most of the financial reward came from simply playing the game. But then also, like, there was a winner's pot, so you wanted to knock people out um, towards the end. And in a game till 1910, that's sort of difficult, so maybe that slightly affects the dynamic. Um, but these are all uh, interesting things. And then I guess to s the flip side of this question is who, who do you think was the country that was most uh, stabbing prone? Who was the biggest betrayer on average? England. France. Turkey. Okay. So France was number two, and number one uh, happened to be Russia also. So maybe we just had very <laughs> malicious Russias in this game, uh, in a series of games. And then what's interesting is some people chose not to stab anybody at all, and some people were fortunate enough to never have been stabbed as well. Um, on the mild incentive, um, from... <laughs> From Sloth's point of view, did that make any impact at all to your uh, your gameplay? Like, was was it obviously it was the right amount, so it made a little bit of a difference, but not much of a difference? No, I can't say that drove any in-game behavior at all for me. Did you did you actually get any cash as a result of it? I did. Did you did you put it to something nice? I'm sure I bought a board game with it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Um, just before we kind of start wrapping up, one thing that you, you asked for us to do beforehand, Dennis, was to send you a few lies that we uh, either got from our players or from our, our listeners uh, or from ourselves. So we did send that through to you. Um, did you want to talk a little bit around um, the ability for your AI to accurately predict um, those lies? This was um, at one game where I think I lied to about three different players. I'm not doing very well in it at the moment, probably because of my deception. And um, and then there was another game, which I think was one that Kane had mentioned before, where he got stabbed recently. Did you want to talk through some of those at all? Or which ones were the most interesting? Yes. So I want to, like, so in some of them, the prediction is wrong, and some of them, I believe the prediction is right. Um, and I also tested some uh, messages that were just completely normal messages to offset um i didn't want to just test the lies and see if they all worked i wanted to see if the truthful messages were correctly perceived as truthful ones as well and um so i've shared some examples of that i think to begin with um one truthful message by you that was perceived as truthful was yeah i see you're thinking recording a podcast now a little bit pissed we'll talk in the morning when i'm lucid and uh, that to me was an interesting message mainly because of podcast and the reason I chose to run that one through the uh, model was because podcast is a word that probably never occurred in the training data. So I don't think I had any um, famous podcasters in my experiments, or at least none that would have complained about uh, 
their podcast or maybe they praise their podcasting. So that's something that's not at all in the training data. So I was curious if that would get picked up. And um, it, it didn't affect, there was no negative effect. So in this case, it just would have been a uh, out of vocabulary word. Um, and instead the model focused on bit, pissed, and a little. So I guess the phrase little bit pissed uh, is a believable phrase that makes you a more truthful person. And then uh, in this situation, mourning uh, was indicate more skewing towards lie, but overall the message was produced per perceived as a truthful one with a pretty high degree of confidence. And then on the flip side, a message that was perceived as a lie, uh, one example would be Hey, I just wanted to make sure to bounce if you had teamed up with Sweden to go after me. I'll be moving to SML this tour. And it's a typo on the last one also. And in this case, the model focuses on, hey, uh, moving and teamed. Uh, and on the positive side, it thinks sure is a relatively um, truthful word. So um, this is this is going to be the next phase of our study is we're interested in trying to not only collect this data from users about um, if they're lying or not, but actually seeing if there's something we can do to help users be more cautious in their game playing. Uh, so like one of the th also the message length is really significant in this. So I guess in this case, the message length put heavily towards being a lie. Uh, maybe it's straight and to the point, um, but it's also with a pretty mild confidence. So it's not saying this is 100% a lie. It's saying, I think this is a lie, but I'm only somewhat certain. And then the majority of messages were, so this is roughly half and half of lies and truth. And the slight majority were predicted as truthful. And that makes sense because Statistically, around none of the messages are truthful, which uh, was a big decision point in our research. So for the metrics we chose to uh, prioritize in our model training, it was a macro F1, which means that we wanted to balance truths and lies equally, even though the distribution within the data was 95% or so skewing towards truth. Because otherwise, we could learn a really we could learn a 95% accurate model that predicted everything as truthful, but that was not the point. And on the flip side, we could also train a model that learned to aggressively predict everything as a lie, um, but then that also wouldn't be useful. So we're trying to it's a fine it's a, both an art and a science in this case. And I guess we're sort of like the interesting thing about this as a scientific experiment is like these are all questions that. I'm not genuinely sure that there is a clear, obvious answer. So if you decide, should lies be binary or ternary? Um, at what point, um, what balancing ratio should you have between lies and truth? Uh, how should you try to predict them? These are all still open-ended research questions. Okay, cool. Um, would you would you be comfortable with us sharing or putting up online the... Um... That, that that breakdown of, the, of estimating whether something was a lie or, or not? Of course. Cool, excellent. Um, and I, I think um, Sloth had one quick question around the little bit pissed, so we might do that and then, then we might because I have to get to work, unfortunately. Right, so 
I'm sorry, that caught my attention. It drilled in on the little bit pissed as a marker of truth. Um, is that it perceived kind of a little bit of emotional content as a, a marker of truth? And I ask that because kind of banging the table is a very common deception method in the face-to-face -face games, at least. Mm -hmm. well, so, literally banging all... the table. Well, acting a little pissed off, you know, showing oh. a little emotion. To so you're looking that... at you're looking at pissed as like mm -hmm. I'm really pissed off with you versus I'm right you know, been drinking too much. Right, because if you're reading the text, you don't necessarily get the context there. So I'm wondering if it triggered it as uh, as an emotional cue rather than a drinking cue. Yeah, this is the problem with humans dealing with machine learning is we want to over-explain things. So statistically, all this is saying is in the training data, little little bit and pissed independently were slightly more uh, statistically associated with truthful messages than uh, lies. So there is no careful consideration of the emotional resonance, uh, poetic and misunderstanding. It just happened to happen. So it also raises an interesting um, thought experiment around different cultures um, playing this. I mean, we're like English speaking cultures, but, you know, different slang terms, different phraseology, different because I read that, you know, a little bit pissed and I only take it one way. And just this now just realized that it well could well be taken in a different reading. So, you know, I think that is an interesting thing to think about. Um, the different phraseology, different languages, I suppose, or different dialects. Yeah, being mindful of the time, and I need to kind of wrap this up, unfortunately. Um, was there any plans in the future for any further research or anything that kind of um, triggers any thoughts on future research, Dennis? Yes, so we're actually at the moment building an interface that provides users with not, rather than asking them to identify if they're lying or not, we're now trying to use our model to give a prediction and explain why that prediction is happening. And then we'll be curious to see, actually help the person catch lies better than the first go round. And so I look forward to working once again with the diplomacy community and on a, on a personal level, I'm excited to be playing the uh, first virtual World Diplomacy Classic. Uh, so I'm, I guess this is something that I think will stick with me more or less from life because of an academic project. So I'm grateful that Jordan happened to play it in uh, college and then got me into it for his research purposes. Awesome. Well, I look forward to um, playing against you maybe there because I'm signed up as well. <laughs> and I'm sure Sloth is probably as well. <laughs> I had an absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me to this. No, it's been great. I think it was really important to get a player's perspective on things. Um, Dennis, Sloth, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, thank you so much. And um, again, thank you so much for the research. It was um, really interesting. Um, I, I thoroughly recommend any uh, diplomacy player to read the paper. We'll create links, obviously, within our show notes. Um, because there's a lot of really great stuff in there. And, and I must actually say, and Kana said this as well to me uh, offline, it's very well written. You know what I mean? It's quite succinct. It's to the point there's not much blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's, it's a good read, and it's a relatively short read as well. So thank you. Well, 
yep, I got quite lucky with having Jordan and uh, Christian help me out a lot of the writing. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to claim credit for that, especially the Dante's Inferno. That was not my doing. So it's nice to have um, <laughs> computer scientists who are broadly interested in uh, occasional Italian quote in their academic papers. Awesome. Crossover. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Sloth. It's been great. Well, ciao. And we're back. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I certainly got a lot out of it. I think I said that in the interview. That if I, yeah. you know, had that conversation with these guys a week ago, I certainly would have played my cards different yeah. in the most recent game. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, just, just, I mean, just thinking about the ramifications of this, like, if, if a computer, like a machine or some sort of intelligence, artificial intelligence, can learn what is mistruth or what is misdirection or deception, yep. that opens up in and of itself a whole world of possibilities. Um, and, and from the point of view of this research, it's about looking at it from a, from a good, you know, looking at it as a way to assist us in navigating the cyber world. Well, yeah, and also just being able to, yeah, well, I suppose the cyber world is one way, but also just being able to detect when someone's not telling you the truth and things like that. Well, from the point of view of improving my game, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, we, we, we will have within the show notes, both on the website and also within the show notes in the episode, if you're listening to this on an iPhone or smartphone or whatever like that, the link through to the paper. Um, so I'll say that right now, but it's well worth your read. Uh, as I think I, actually I don't think I said that in the interview, it was maybe in the post interview. It's a really well-written, succinct academic paper. Like I've read a few academic papers. Yeah, this one doesn't beat around the bush. No, with, you it know, gets, superfluous language. It's, no, it's actually, you just know. jumps straight into it and it's, it's meaty, it packs a real good punch. Um, and there's so much in it that I felt were, I mean, we, we honestly, we, I could have asked a hell of a lot more questions. That, that interview could have gone for another hour, except I was very much time constrained and I'm also conscious of our audience. And honestly, all we'd end up doing is repeating and talking about a lot of the things that's in the paper itself. So people can go back, they can read the paper, yep. um, just around some of the ways that certain trigger words reflect a... a propensity to lie or propensity to tell the truth, the succinctness of the message, the level of detail, the talking about the future. Yeah, now that one, yeah, that, that was that's interesting. so interesting. I think I think that's one that, um, I, I, I see that myself, absolutely see that myself, um, and I see that when, you know, from experience, people do stop really talking about it, it's not something I've clicked. Well, I mean... I suppose if you think about it from the point of view of, um, you know, if you're in a relationship, if you're talking about, and, and this was touched on in the context of around marriages and things, if you're in a relationship yep. and you keep constant, and you're both talking about the future, then obviously things are looking positive. You both want to maintain where you're going, presumably. Yep. I mean, who's going to talk about the future if you intend to kind of break up with someone in a couple of weeks or whatever? Yeah, well, from yeah, well, from a real politic point of view like, yeah and yeah. like even um, like in a workplace environment sometimes I've had like the situation where getting a bit bored want to do something different I know I'm actively applying for jobs elsewhere in my current job I'm probably less likely 
to talk about what we want to plan to do in three months, six months, 12 months time. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's true. And it's it's true. when I think about it, I thought, I did that. You know what I mean? I didn't talk about where we're trying to do, where we're trying to go. It's just getting ready to pull the ripcup cord. So sometimes it's not necessarily lying, it's lying by omission. Conserving face. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so you're not accused of lying later on. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Yep. Yep. Um, but look, the, th- the things around this all time, we touched on this towards the end of the interview, was around, you know, potential next lot of research. Hmm. And I kind of led into this thinking to a certain extent where I think what would be really, really useful, for, if, for example, with this, with this particular paper, if they looked at all the data and everything and they've already got their... Um, their uh, machine learning um, organised, so they've got an algorithm to work out what's likely to be alive, what's not. I would love to see where the people who actually were lying and kind of marked down on their sheet with a thumb up that they were lying or whatever like that, or thumb down, I don't know which one was which, what was then the likelihood that they would then stab? I know they talked about this whole power dynamic, so what's the difference in SCs effectively between yourself as Germany on five and myself as France on eight. Yeah, is lying actually effective? But what I was interested in there was that hypothetical, like if I had, and I think I mentioned this in the interview, if I had an army in Burgundy and an army in Belgium and you'd happen to leave Holland and Munich open, is there certain words at a certain point of time or certain ways that things are structured that's more likely then to result in this is the time? I use this type of language when I'm about to lie, which could then again be used to someone else to uh, prevent that lie by going, "Oh shit! I think something's happening here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring back Kiel to Holland and Belgium yeah. to um, sorry, uh, Berlin to Munich." I think they need a large, much, much larger database to answer some of those questions. Yeah, I, actually, I think I think you're right because whilst there was like a shitload of messages, it was like what, seven thousand messages or something like that. Seven thousand? It's quite a large number. A lot of, there's a Maybe lot of messages. I was pulling that figure out of my ass. But it was still only 12, 12 or so games. 12 games, yeah. yeah. And even within those 12 games, my, my recollection of the paper was that's not like you're using 12 games to predict. There was also, out of that, some got extracted as, a, as the, um, the training module. You know what I mean? So they might have only three or four games that they use as the training to then be able to assess the eight other games. Yep. So, look, we're talking shit here because we actually. We probably should have asked how much effort was required from you guys to actually run this thing <laughs> and to manage it because um, it, maybe we're, I think we are underestimating the amount of effort required. I think there probably was a, a shitload of effort put into this. I, I guess this is the last thing I really want to say about it is I can see some sort of opt-in system being put into place in PlayDip or WebDip where if people want to contribute to this, they can agree to opt in to improving this sort of research. Oh yeah. And so that you know, as they're playing the game, they can do the true false as they're answering or writing messages to one another. Yep. And this is an opt in. It's a you know an anonymized function that can feed back to these guys to help improve their data set. I can see that. As, as a potential down the road, 
it sounds really interesting to me. So I think I think you're hundred percent correct and that would appeal to certain players. Players like you. Yep. Who want to kind of contribute, want to improve humanity. But I think you'd also need a certain other factor, which is probably people like me, where you use it as a way of trying to appeal not so much to their egos, but to their how do they compare to other players, you know? Some diplomacy players, not all Kana, some are quite competitive. <laughs> and I reckon what would be a really great thing would be like having this competitive nature around my ability to tell a lie and get away with it. You know what I mean? You could have like league tables on this and some people would go, you know, because honestly, go who would... On it. Okay, I, maybe, maybe, maybe I might be totally wrong on this one, but there would be definitely a certain calibre of player... <laughs> Who would love to know that they are the world's best liar, or the world's best liar detector in diplomacy? <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, absolutely, and but would have to be an opt-in. Oh, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, it's yeah. kind of like sometimes we see this little pop-in survey. Would you like to help us with something with our website? Nah, fuck off. No, might be. Yeah, okay. I'll be into that. And there'd have to be like messaging done around it so that oh, yeah, yeah, people yeah. are aware. And, and, and honestly, at that point in time, if, if you are opting into that level, you wouldn't have some of the things like the very minor financial incentive participating. You know what I no, mean? No, it's just for the sheer unholy joy of it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. the thing, you to know, get that stat, you know. Yeah, how good am I at detecting World's lies? best liar. <laughs> you world's know, 99% best accurate or, you know, 20% accurate. You know, it's like on, on a red-green red bar, you know. And the other thing about that, I think you'd find... Those who were actively participating in that would be far more attuned. You know what I mean? Like, so if normally, like, let's say you're, I don't know, playing an online game, because this is obviously still being done in the online environment. Um, but if you're playing an online game and you've got five or six or eight games going on, you're probably not really. You're just kind of picking up your spidey senses. You know what I mean? As opposed to some players who will diligently spend 20, 30 minutes reading through things, crafting their messages. I think you'd find those players again would really up their game oh, to yeah. make sure they don't get busted or to detect somebody else. Well, it gives a whole new meta. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'd love to see that happen. Just putting it out there into the, into the diplomacy verse. So the other things that we didn't touch on in the interview, oh, sorry, we touched on very, very briefly at the end, and I think, I think Dennis brought this up as well, would be, it'd be so interesting to see how, what happened on the, Okay, well, again, what happened on the board at certain points of time? So if you were in a situation where you had, like, that whole AI... Well, it doesn't actually work, does it? Because the AI at the moment over at WebTip with the bots, there's no, there's no language, there's no talking. Yeah, no, you'd have to graph it. So you'd have to go, okay, these messages happened in spring 1901, autumn 1901, spring 1902, blah, 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 and the percentage of lies detected out of lies given. Yep. And you'd, you'd have to spike that kind of bar graph as to what was being said versus how much was being detected. Yep. And then against the map. So you can see the map and see what how many lies were being done. Yes. You know, that's yeah. how visually you'd have to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was what he was saying before Dennis I think he was saying on the, around the mid game was when you tend to get most of the lies happening, you know what I mean? Mid to end game, yeah. Um, the other thing that I as a well, all in at the start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well yeah, it's true. Um, the last thing I'll probably say, which I think is, again, an opportunity for the future, is 
how would you potentially apply the same methodology and logic to not face-to-face -face at the moment, obviously, but to virtual games? So instead of having your discussions via Discord and playing on Backstabber, what happens if it's like one of the current you know, tournaments that are run where you're actually talking on um, Discord and you're obviously playing on Backstabber? Because if you're able to record that stuff and if you were the researchers, you could get that audio recording, shove it into various software to then do a, you know, a quick and dirty translate of it yeah, and you know you polish it up a little bit, polish up your data. To what extent, in a face-to-face -face environment, people are different in their lying styles and lying behaviour versus text-based, well, and even in a video environment. You know, video is pretty much as close as you're going to get to the face-to-face. -face. Big difference though there is that something like ninety percent of communication happens by body language. So like. And this is right. this is one thing I'm surprised actually doesn't happen yet, and maybe maybe it is because I'm a bit slow to I've done this for a few times. But some of those virtual tournaments, if we're using Discord, why don't we use fucking cameras? Well, why don't we use? I know what you're going to say. I you know what you're going to say. <laughs> Just put that put that in your <laughs> bloody robot cabinet over there. We'll come back to that one later. Animatronic robots. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, you know why why couldn't we do like? face-to-face -face video Discord games where you have got a verbal, you know, not just verbal, not just you, you can see what people are saying and doing. And yes, you can't kind of see what they're doing with their hands. You can't see them walk over to, you know, another room and huddle up with someone else. And <laughs> but, you know, trying to get closer to what, you know, face-to-face -face diplomacy will be when it returns. Thoughts of the future. Or the future with this hybrid game we've got. Thoughts for the future. Speaking of the future, it's almost Christmas. Oh, it is too. And I've got you your diplomacy gift. Oh, that's right. It's the annual Christmas party. For <laughs> there you go. It's a bit smaller than uh, oh. last year's. I think I know what this is. Can I have a guess at it? Sure. It feels like a like a fleet. I, I a very large <laughs> fleet, like a naval boat. Can I open it? You can open it. Of course. Oh! I can't see in the so, light. What is it made of? Uh, Stuff. It's a metal of some sort. Metal? But it's, um, it's a pencil sharpener as well. Oh, okay. So it's to, you know, sharpen your gunboat game. <laughs> <laughs> So we only kind of, I think we only really discovered and remembered that it was this was going to be the Christmas episode. Oh, we, we were catching up the other week. Recording our Just, Patreon. Yeah, yeah, on, on, the, on whatever it was. So look, I haven't been able to go out and get you anything physical yet. Okay. And I haven't been able to order anything for it to arrive on time. But I have got a printout here. Oh, okay. So it will be coming in the mail to me. And okay. as soon as I get it, next time we'll catch up, I'll kind of present it to you. Oh, righto. So there you go. Oh, thank you. Ah! A custom pint glass with your Diplomacy Games podcast on it. I love it. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.
I hope I, you'd ordered two, one for yourself. I have ordered one for me as well. Because <laughs> I thought it'd be really good, like next time, like when we've got some face-to-face tournaments, like down in Melbourne or whatever like that, to fly down in our luggage. And have our um, diplomacy games. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Just walk around. And <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Of course, it's the, um, the image that presents us on the podcast oh, that we've yeah, got yeah. up there. Yeah, so basically it's like a pint glass with the, um, the logo icon that you kind of see for the show when, in your podcast player within the URL underneath it. A glass of wine there too. Yeah, there is. No, well, I only, got, only ordered, I ordered two pint glasses. No, no, but there's a glass of wine on the image. Oh, yeah, there is too, yeah. yeah. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> You almost had a beer, right? Oh, getting close. Uh, got a quarter of the way to go. Hmm. Just better check the, the time is up to five thirty. So we're talking about whether we need to stay here. Well, it's nice aircon. It's nice aircon, yeah. Stay here, okay. We we'll, we'll, we'll keep the other one up our sleeve for another Tuesday that we yeah. happen to do a Tuesday session on. Although it opened at five thirty, so that's what we're coming up. We might try your Lord Nelson next. Sure, that's a shot. I might go to the wine because just the listeners, purpose, as I think Kane mentioned before, having his hard cider, we did go to another bar prior to this one because there's not a lot open, as we've said before, on a Tuesday at 4.30. And this is the first one I think they opened at 5 that we haven't been to. Yep. So we went to a, what would you call it? It's like a, a thrasher bar. <laughs> it's a hole in the wall. Um, yeah. It's, uh, like it's, thrash, just... it's like thrash death metal. Now, okay, a bit of context on this one. You had sort of tried to get us there beforehand one time. Yes, true. Which I, I didn't know what it was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And quite literally, you walk into this bar, it's dark, it's gloomy, you can't see anything because you've just come out from you know broad daylight yep. into this darkened space. And there's thrash metal going... <laughs> like that. And, Not um, a fan, Kana? Uh, not a massive fan. I mean, I can do this. This isn't too bad. This is all right, yeah. Um, that heavy death rock. Um, yeah, yeah, more like death, death metal. Yeah, today, like, today when we were in there, it wasn't as loud as it was the other day when I went in there. Because I got there earlier than you. I walked in, took yep. two, went two, in, steps. two steps in. Said, fuck this. Man. The view- Music was three times as loud. This is weird. Yeah. Turned around and left. Just no, no, nothing redeemable about it. I would hate um, to see what the vocal chords are of a lead singer of like a of a death metal band <laughs> after about five years of singing. It'd be like ripped to shreds, wouldn't it? Oh, I, I remember one of the guys I went to school with. He. He was a massive death metal fan. Mm. You know, he wasn't... He didn't do the whole goth thing or the emo trip, but he just loved listening to death metal loud. Yeah. And, um... And he'd go to me, he'd go, Kana, there's actually a lot of musical talent in it. And I thought, you're fucking kidding me. I can't hear it. Like, I honestly couldn't hear what he was talking about. He was talking about, the, you know, the different chord progressions and the... 
yeah. you know, the, 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 the ways they hit the, the beats and the tempos. Oh, you can tell I'm not a musician because it just went straight over the top of my head and I said, it just sounds like fucking noise. And that's what it sounds like to me. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, so when you hear it, it's too loud and it's, nah, I'll just move and go to a different spot. I think when I was living in England, though, I, I was managing a team at the time where I had like a, a graphic designer and the graphic designer was like a pom. And like he was like, you know, bald head, you know what I mean? Stubbly beard, hot belly. You know, he's probably in his, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. You know, kind of working the T-shirt and everything like that. Quiet, I mean, quiet as very, you know, um, very mild um, demeanour. And like, yeah, he's like, he's like the, I can't remember if it was the singer or if it was the drummer of a death metal band. <laughs> and you would never guess this, you know, based on the way he was. There you go, so talk about stereotypes, there's one right in a nutshell. Yeah. Yep. How are you right. going with your rum? I'm almost done. I can, yep. I can drink up. Yep. And when we get back, I'll, uh, I'll have a chat with you around how I'm going with the um, world diplomacy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, yep. which one's a pause? The top one or the bottom one? Top one. And we're back. Cheers. Cheers. How's their one and only wine? Better than I expected, actually. Okay. A few more years, because it's only a 2019. A few more years, it might be all right. But um, better than expectations. What about you? You've you switched to the beer I had. Yeah, the three sheets pale ale. That's going to get harder to say as you get more drunk, isn't it? You get more three sheets to the wind? Three sheets to the wind. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Actually, I once had a, um, had a cider down in Tasmania. It's a Dickens cider. Oh. And that got harder and harder to say as you got more and more pissed off the stuff. <laughs> I can understand how talking about Dickens cider might create an issue after a few after drinks a few when you keep drinks. turning up to the bar. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, anyway, this is, this is good. This is smoother than the... Um, it's a nice drop. Yeah, I had that. Oh shit! I don't know, probably about five, six years ago, at the uh, the Lord Nelson Pub, which is on. Um, actually, if any of our listeners have came to Australia, you've probably gone to Sydney, and you've probably gone to the Harbour, and it's, it's like you've probably gone to the Rocks, which is like the old part, you know, of Sydney that still exists hasn't been bulldozed. I've been there. I've been there. And yeah. like the Lord Nelson pub's like smack bang in the middle of the rocks near the near the water. Lovely pub. Might have drunk there. Is that really? Probably have. Yeah. Too busy drinking your too busy drinking cider. <laughs> anyway, we're not, not a drinking podcast. No, it's pretty close to it at times, but yeah. At times, yeah. <laughs> I should say my my wine is for the record a uh, Bleeding Heart Cabernet Sauvignon from uh, the McLaren Vale. Oh, okay. So actually quite appropriate to have a Bleeding Heart on the day that Joe Biden won the Electoral College. and Bravo, Joe. I think every single legal instrument to prevent um, or for uh, Trump to... It's been exhausted now. It's been exhausted it? now, yeah. I think. Well, it doesn't stop him from, you know, talking about it, though. Still. No. Yeah. Anyway, watch it with... Um, Fading interest as the guy fades from the limelight, really. Yeah. Kind of like our presidential campaign, just fading away. Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
So um, we're both in a in a certain team, the, the Democracy Sausages. I think we, we talked about this before. Democracy Sausages. For the what is it called? The virtual is that what's virtual? What's it called? It's the um, World Diplomacy World Cup. Yep. Which is the one that's being played over on Webdiv. The twenty twenty World Cup. Yeah. Webdiv. Yes. So we're we're the um, the local Queensland team. I think there's a another Australian team of one form or another. The Victorians, eh? Yeah, yeah, I said yeah. Right, probably, yeah. There's um, you, Ambie, me, Kana, um, Bob with Bob. Yep. And Macca. Macca. So I've been roped into doing a one versus one. Which actually I'm a bit worried about Macca's game because I think Macca was away this week, so Oh, you're allowed one extend oh, yeah, uh, cool. questioned. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, anyway, Bob McBob PM'd me and said, oh, look, you know, can you, um, how are you at one versus one games? I said, well, I'm pretty shit, actually. Um, and he said, and then I said, well, but if I have to take one, I'll, I'll, I will. And so the next thing I hear from him is like, um, well, you're probably better than the rest of us. <laughs> <So> <laughs> So you've got it. So have you done and, any... Um, so it's the fact that you... I mean, he, he contacted me, I think, before you. Right. And I said, no, I'm shit at one versus one. Because honestly, it's a whole genre, isn't it, within the online diplomacy it's space? a massive following. Especially yep. this whole England versus France game. And... England, France. France, Austria. Oh, France, Austria. What the fuck I'm yep. saying? Here, right? What's the other one that's big on board as well? There's um, oh. Italy... Italy, Russia, Germany. I don't know. Oh, Italy, Germany. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the other big, big one. one. Yeah. But I think I think France, Austria is usually the, the main one that people do. But I said no, no. I'm absolute shit. Go with someone else. So it's good that you said the same thing. And he said no. Nah, we're exhausted. It's you. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I did say if I had to take it, I would. And so yeah, I did. Um, yeah, but look, honestly, it's it's a massive genre in the. The web world, dip space, the, web dip, the dip space. Yep. Um, people play it with a with a rigor and an attention to detail. I, I guess you'd say, like they, they've so players like, who are good at it. Yeah. Know what's happening three or four turns in advance. Oh, easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. playing chess. Yeah. You can see um, where things are leading to. And I can, yeah, I, I, I definitely don't have that depth of vision when it comes to one versus ones. And as such, I generally, if I'm up against someone who knows what they're doing, get my ass handed to me on a platter. So, for any of our listeners who haven't, who maybe have played it, or maybe it's face to face or anything like that, and they've never actually played this type of thing, does it start with just literally France and Austria, and then it's like a, a scramble for the neutral? So every other vacant SC on the board? Yep. Yep. All the other SCs are vacant, including other powers. There's no neutral ant armies. Yep. No standing armies. No yep. standing armies, just neutral supply centres. Um, and you start with the units that you would start normally on the board. Yep. So Austria's got the Fleet and Trieste and two armies, while um, France has got the Fleet Rest. and Trieste and two armies. So, And then it's just a scramble to get to 18. Mm. So within this game... So, there's lots of these games going on, isn't there? But no one, no one knows who's who in the game. So it's anonymous. 
yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, but we can probably talk in vague generalities amongst all of those 1v1 France versus Austria games. Who are you playing as? Well, I'm playing as Austria. Oh, okay. In this one. Um, now, as things stand, I've got I've got an army in St. Petersburg, army in Prussia, army in Silesia, army in Munich, army in Vienna, army in Venice, army in Piedmont, and a fleet in the Trinian Sea. And I have supply centres, Naples, Rome, Venice, my home supply centres, Greece, Warsaw, St. Pete and Sevastopol. So I'm on 11 supply centres. How much is France on? He's on 11 supply centres. France has a fleet in Gulf of Lyon, a fleet in Western Med, and a fleet in Sweden, and an army in Finland, an army in Berlin, an army in Kiel, an army in Ruhr, and an army in Belgium. Now, I, if I count up the amount of units that are behind my supply, behind my lines... How many SCs have... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, so... How many SCs are in your pocket that you can't reach? In my pocket that I can collect with... That France can't get to, so Moscow, Romania, Serbia, Bulgaria, Constantinople, Smyrna, Ankara. That brings me up to 18, and I've got Tunis in the mix. Yeah? Yeah. Whereas France has Tunis in the mix... Liverpool, Edinburgh, and Denmark. Oh, and Portugal. Right? In his pocket. Yep. Can I hold that, is the question. Right? I'm what are we up to? What are we up to? Is it Bill's face now? This is Bill's, yeah. So what are you expecting? Well... Or do you want me to give you my view first? I'd like your view. Should I build two armies, or should I build a fleet instead? Oh, you need to build a fleet. I need a fleet. Yeah, you are you're you're, you're um, <coughs> lacking fleets in the med. I mean, just look at it now. You've got one in Tyrrhenian Sea. That's it. And he's got one in Golf of Lyon and um, Western Med. So he's obviously clearly decided to fuck around a little bit with that. I can't hold Munich. No, because he did this fucking stupid bounce. What was that all about? He was. In Munich. And I thought ah, he was going to move to Tyrolia. okay. And then you move, what, Ruhr to Munich? Or do you retreat to... I move Ruhr to Munich, yeah. Oh, nice to get into Ruhr. Trying, thinking he was going to support himself into Berlin. Yep. Nice, yeah, so, to take that. Anyway, lost Berlin on that. So you're going to lose Munich... I'm going to lose Munich. He can so either later on mind. take Tunis, but more likely he's going to go Gopoli on to Tyrian Sea, supported by Western Med. Yeah. Why didn't, so what happened here? Because like he had Gopoli on going to Tyrian Sea. You're Tyrian Sea to Western Med. What was Western Med doing? Didn't do anything. You're kidding me. Yeah. And oh. I got a message from him apologising, actually. Oh. Yeah, so he knew he, knew he was fucked up. So you're going to lose that. And then as soon as you lose that... What are you going to do? You're going to retreat back to Naples and do a bounce with Venice and Naples until your Trias fleet comes down to Albania well, and out to Ioni? This is why I don't think I need a fleet, right? You need a fleet. If I have an army in Trieste, I can move Venice down to Rome, uh, Trieste to Albania, he retreats down to Ioni, and then I can support myself into Naples with a convoy. Do you know what I mean? I'm not... 
I just don't think I need it. And given that it's now a scramble to get to 18, any delay ah, on getting okay. supply centres, I'm actually disadvantaging myself. So you're thinking of tactically, how do you, instead of trying to prevent loss of supply centres, how do, how do you gain more supply centres faster than the speed you lose supply centres? Correct. The challenge there is you're still going up. Let's say, for example, let's say you've... Um, fast forward a game year or two. He's taken Rome and he's taken Naples. He'll also take St Petersburg. And he's going to take St Petersburg. And by that time, maybe you might have picked up four supply centres. So you're only a, a zero... It's not a zero-sum game, but you're only going to probably be one, maybe two ahead. But that might be what you need. I don't know. Then Provided then you kind of swing them back around. But my back. problem is I think you, what you need to be able to do is not right now, obviously, but later on when you get into the point that you're starting to exhaust picking up SCs, you'll need to kind of pump more and more fleets out. I'll need to get a fleet. And then yeah. you'll need to kind of keep some builds in your pocket to put out more fleets. What do you think? Yeah, so I'm leaning towards two armies at this stage, even though I had... I just convinced myself out of it. Okay. Oh, he's, oh, he's gone the army! <laughs> Hope he doesn't build another fucking fleet in Brest. Oh, he will. He's got three builds. Oh, shit! He got three bills and you only got two. Well, I had three, but I had an army on Vienna. Ah. Which is dumb. I shouldn't have yeah. mouse myself, but... Oh, well, don't beat yourself up. Based on, this, based on the situation at the time, I can understand why you did what you did. Um, hmm. Oh, well. <laughs> Glad it's me, not you. <laughs> yeah. Have you um, have you kind of consulted any of the brains uh, trust? Well, I was thinking more the written brains trust rather than the brains trust. No, like, you I, know any of yeah, um, no, you literature know, um, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you know, you're, you're looking at you know like your brotherboard blogs, your Chris Martin videos. You know, oh, yeah. I think that's the first of a couple of rounds I have to play. I have to play three, don't I? Only two. Two. I don't know. But what about you? Are you in another game, like a classic game? Yeah, I'm actually game? in a gunboat. A gunboat game. Yeah. Do you need my sharpener, or your, your gunboat game sharp enough? I think it's looking pretty good. Okay, cool. To be perfectly honest, but it did give me an insight as to a potential Italian opening, which I hadn't thought about before. Thought about before. Um, hang on, fuck. Where are we? Um, now, I can't talk about this one to much depth mm-hmm. um, because well, I'll be the same with my game. Zero, there's some strict rules around what you can and can't say. What you can and can't say in this space. Um, but needless to say, I'll show you this map, um, and I'm not doing too bad at this stage. What year is it? Uh, 1902. Spring. No, no, 190... What's the scroll at the top? Bills. 
Bills ninety nine one. Bills ninety nine one. Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. Let me just check a couple of things here without giving out the game. Like, so this this player didn't do anything. Um, yeah, I'll just open up the big. He mustn't map. have because. Oh, he he. Oh, that's interesting. So he attempted to support you in. No. No. He was supporting. Old he mate. Did, oh, he did to support old mate in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe not as friendly as you think. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh no. I'm, yeah. yeah. Well, not too bad, really. Ooh, this is interesting up here. Yes, 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 yes. Actually, we can talk about the board, but not who you are. No? Uh, this one's tricky because it is a World Cup and it is the gunboat. We could probably uh, talk about yours. Why? In that sort of term, in that it's full press. Yeah. Whereas this one, because it's a gunboat, can't really... Um, under the laws of the, the actual rule book. The laws of Gumbo. Okay. Well, the rules of the tournament prevents. I didn't bother reading the rules. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like the you know the, the iPhone yeah. thing. You accept. Yeah. <laughs> scroll, um, scroll, scroll, scroll. Yeah, I agree with that. I never read a word. Needless to say, things are looking. Yep, that's interesting looking. from interesting. my point of view. Yeah. Look, I think as openings go for the country that you drew, I'd be pretty happy with that. If I got that, I'd be going, yeah, nice work. Little pat on the back. Don't need any of those fucking pencil sharpeners for gunbite. Thank you very much. Hmm. Although, like I said, it gave me an idea for an opening for Italy, right? Right. So, imagine you're Italy. Yep. And you've opened up with a classic Lepanto, right? Right. Well, this isn't that. However, Venice, instead of moving to Apulia, has moved to Piedmont, right? This isn't sounding like a classical Lepanto at all. Keep going. Well, a classical Lepanto will convoy Naples to Tunis, build a fleet in Naples, move the fleet to Ionian, Ionian to Eastern Med, and then convoy across to Syria, right? Oh, so I'm thinking Key Lepanto, where you go Venice to Trieste. Yes, yeah, Trieste yeah, yeah. Come no, 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 yeah, so that's your classic, but it... In your classic one, you're not antagonising France, France by yeah. moving to Piedmont, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it got me thinking, right? If you were to open like this, you could actually set yourself up for a deceptive attack on Austria if you were willing to give up a build 1901. Okay, tell me more. Okay, so imagine in this scenario... You then move Piedmont to Tyrolia and convoy in Naples spring 1902. in spring 1902 and then convoy Naples to Albania. Well, well, Naples would be over in Tunis by now, right? So instead of getting that build in Tunis, you're actually oh, setting yourself fall? up for in falls. So it's a fall stab against Austria. If things were a little bit different and let's say... Um, no, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a sec. So what you've got at the moment here is spring 1901. This is spring 1901. Where Naples has moved to Ionian, Rome has moved to Naples, could be a Puglia, and Venice to Piedmont, right? Yep. 
So you're saying in fall, you'd go Piedmont to Tyrolia, convoy Naples to Albania. Yes. So in which case then you don't have, you don't pick up any bills. Correct. And by then, presumably, in a hypothetical situation, Serbia has supported Albania to Greece. Yes. You've now got Austria building two units and you've got no bills. I would just go, why wouldn't Trieste go straight to Venice? Yeah, no, no. But this is, this is what I'm saying. Like, not, not in a gunboat thing, but you've actually organised with, say, Turkey... Because often, often Trieste will hold, right? Yeah. To prevent Venice moving to Trieste. Yeah, but right yeah. now, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in this case, it wouldn't have worked. So, in this situation, you'd actually have, you'd get, you'd enlist Turkey on board to attack Austria. But Turkey's in Bulgaria. You won't get anything else. Yeah, but you, Bulgaria could support Naples and Greece. Actually, could. You know what I mean? Oh. Well, yeah, but that's just a standard, you know, Turkey-Italy alliance. Yeah. But even oh. then, it's just going to bounce. Anyway, but I'm just... There's got to be a new... I thought you were doing Italy. something totally different, Kano. I thought you were going to well, talk about like something like a reverse Lepanto. A reverse, reverse Lepanto. Where you kind of end up kind of convoying into, I don't know, into Tunis, and then you do some other... Uh, maybe, I don't know, Ionian into... Uh, sorry, Naples into Tyrrhenium. Con- convoy into Tunis, and then you kind of build in Rome. You have then you move Tyrrhenian into, you know, Western Med, or well, you maybe Gothelion, and then do a reverse and one, then and Rome then... to Tyrrhenian, Tyrrhenian to Western Med, convoy across. Whilst you've got Piedmont here, and you start smashing up by the Iberian area. I mean, that's interesting. I might give that a go next time. I don't know if it's called a reverse Villapanto, but anyway, it but does I, require I just think, I just think, I just think a fair Italy amount of trust has... with Austria, though. But I'll tell you what, you're leaving Venice back door. The second, as as an Austrian player, say, one's getting better. If you saw Italy do that, you'd be pretty bloody happy. You wouldn't want to antagonise that situation. No. Although that takes me back to the interview in the paper. I think there was some talk around. When it came to likelihood of stabbing, it was when there was a surprise, surprise, you have a weak neighbour. So, if Austria's got two bills and maybe Italy's only got one, and Italy's got its units way over, shitting, stuffing around in Golf Leon and Western Med, and let's say you make things sweet with Turkey and Russia, why wouldn't you just go bang, 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 bang? Grab Venice, sneak into Ionian, grab Naples. But I tell you what, it's France that's probably going to be... It's a perennial issue, isn't it? You know? yeah. Anyway, moving on, moving on. How's yours, the world? Well, let me just quickly bring it up. Um, so, ah, okay. So again, it's anonymous. And it's a normal full-press game. So I'm this player. Oh, yeah? And um, I kind of... Pick that one up. No surprises there, really. But I attempted something here, and I had spoken to a couple of players around this, mm. and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, all good." But one of them's bounce mix, so um, 
Mm. I don't know. I'm worried these two might be ganging up on me. Potentially. I get the I get the feeling that I'm up against better players than myself. Yeah, it's daunting as well. Tactically, at least tactically. Yep. And in managing a relationship tactically. Yeah. No. Making alliances? Maybe. Well, I might make an alliance with this player. Makes but sense. that's not going to help me too much because I think my main threat is actually from that player. Well, I can help this player with that. I know that. And then they can help me with that. Yeah. But the problem is, it depends again. Am I correct assuming these two are in alliance or working together? Because if I start doing that shit, it's kind of probably going to draw them together anyway. Because this one here will start going, right, I've taken my easy quick wins, now I'm going to start coming for you. Yeah, keep an eye on what the builds are. Yeah, especially if this one is a fluke. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting what's happened down here. Oh, that's really interesting, yeah. Totally agree. That's just like what you were saying before. Hmm. Reversal panto. Oh, I said that. <laughs> so, and, but the other thing that's interesting is is this move here. Originally from there to here, and then here to there. That kind of reminds me of a couple of stupid things I've done in my time. Which makes me think you've probably got a willing alliance partner oh so yeah I'm very yeah, open yeah. to that yeah. but my problem is again if I help this one here if this one I really need to work on this player and sorry listeners this makes no fucking sense at all but after like 82 or 83 episodes I'm sure you're used to this shit <laughs> but this player here I'm concerned that if I do the help him help out his neighbour against him what happens if he is legitimate because so far he, has, I, I hasn't, he hasn't lied to me yet. This one has, but said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't get my orders. I didn't come back and check my orders on time. Blah, 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 blah. Technical excuse. Technical excuse. <laughs> so what's that mean? Lie. Lie. <laughs> Blame it on real life. Unless Lie. You, unless you say, you know, you, you, you got pissed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> so actually, I, I thought, that obviously the training... Sorry, going back to that one, obviously the training thing, as I said, you hadn't picked up, you know, that. But I would have thought with, I might be totally wrong, but I would have thought maybe if a smart enough training would have kind of picked up that, or if I, if I said, hey, I'm sorry, I've been busy updating my diplomacy YouTube channel or whatever, or diplomacy blog, that may then come across as a measure of authority or trust that I have a reputation to maintain. Mm. But hey, I'm probably reading way too much into that. Probably reading too much into it. I don't think it's smart enough yet. No, 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 no. no. Skynet's got a way to go. So, um, now that you're on holidays... Oh, yes? Have you done any further thinking or planning around any of your um, variants? Like with uh, the one that you are talking about previously? No, but I'm going to jump back into that um, this week. Uh, do the, um, this is the Age of Enlightenment. Age of Enlightenment. You said Dawn you, of the Enlightenment. Dawn of Enlightenment, because yeah, you yep. kind of were um, gave some time during your last holidays. Now yes. you, you work, 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 no time for that. And you, you were very quite clear that I was going to put that on pause. Yes. Now it's holidays again. Yep. 
and life um, of Rolly, you holidays all the fucking time. I've spoken with Flame, and he's super excited about ah. um, sporting it on that side of things. But, so. but, but, but I contacted Flame myself around doing the same thing, and he kind of said, "Not, not doing that anymore." Wait. I tell you what, you set the precedent, and then I'll kind of because I wanted to do the same thing with um, Ice Age. Remind me again how that one works. What I say experience about? Yeah. Oh, it's just like it's a. I think it's like a. I don't know. An, I can't remember which map it was. I modified it, but basically it's a in world map mm-hmm. where you've got um, a hypothetical situation where these massive glacial sheets come down from the North Pole and the South Pole. Yep. Which kind of means there's not a lot of supply centres in Europe or North America. So basically your main players are actually clustered around the equator and the tropics because there's not many other SCs about. And it kind of constrains movement between the western and eastern hemisphere because the the glaciers have obviously come up from Antarctica, cut off the bottom of South America, the other glaciers from the North Pole have cut off the top of North America, so you can't sail around... Cape of Good, not, no, sorry, the uh, Terra del Fuego. Panama Canal would be useless, given that the sea levels dropped. Oh, the Panama Canal. Yeah. No, actually, it's still there. But it's not. It's not sea levels. It's it's, it's ice. Yeah, but if there's ice, then the sea levels got to drop. Maybe it's just rain. <laughs> rain. Oh, so you're saying that. You're bringing science into it, are you? Well, that's what I assume you're talking about. Like, okay, there's no. this, you know, ice age, and oh. therefore the sea levels drop, and therefore you have an interest in different landmass. Um, look, I think, you know, you're probably correct on the science, but I'm not going back and fucking changing the map. Like, the map I did, like, three, four years ago, <laughs> and it was around the time that Ollie said, nah, not doing any, closing down the lab. Mm. So I'm not going back and reworking that. In fact, actually, I think the main thing, the first thing I was going to do was flame. And now I think Toby has said his, his main thing was over. Because he remember a few weeks, months back, he said, oh, I've got way too much shit on, but I'll be right after a certain point of time. Yep. And I'm pretty sure he'd be right now. Because I wanted to do this initially, like the idea of a, just a normal, run-of-the-mill classic map, but with standing neutral armies. Yep. Um. So if I can do that, then I can do my Ice Age... And then I can move on to things like, you know, nuclear war and all those other ones. The more but adventurous we've, we've, ones. And then, of course, you know, there's the, um, the, the squirrel wars. Yeah. That one, hey. See, now that now you're on holidays, actually, now you're on holidays and I'll be on holidays next week for about two weeks, that's the time we actually need to, first off, go back, listen to all of our drunken podcasts for what we talked about, <laughs> remind ourselves and actually come up with a plan. Because I think that's got a lot of merits. The, the Squirrel Wars? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I do. I, I really do. I think it's... Anyway. I, I, each, time I have to, each time I go back to do these variants, I have to relearn it. It doesn't help when you talk about it. You're tanked. <laughs> and you can't remember what you said. Yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like... When I'm actually redoing these re-variants, each I, I went through a massive phase where I was doing, I was knocking out heaps, yep. and then 
slowed right down and then you know, technology changes a little bit and you have to re-learn it on new tools essentially. So you have to remember how it all kind of works. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, used to, I used to have that problem all the time, even before, when the technology didn't change. You spend all your time learning what to do, building a variant, getting it out there, and then you go, it's had this collective, <sighs> and you go, right, none of that shit for a while, and then you don't get the bug again for another six months, and then you go, now what the fuck do I do again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alright, so I've got an interactive map of the sea level. And what I've done is I've just minus 50 metres. Oh, so it makes the coast go further out to the water? Pretty much. I'm not well, fucking changing that. Minus, I don't know, 150 metres. What does the coastline look like? We get some interesting things happening around, like for instance, Doggerland. You know, UK is no longer an island. Well, no, no, no. Because, look, I understand where you're coming from. I'm not doing... Look, I'll tell you right now. I'm not changing the fucking map, okay? Too much effort. What I prepare to do later on... And, I've, and I've already, it's on my little profile thing about future develop, future variants in development. <laughs> would be <laughs> a, not so much that, but the other way around. You know what I mean? Like a global warming variant where you have sea levels rise, I don't know, 100 metres or something like that. Oh, what the fuck does that mean? 100 metres... Let's, let's have a look. 100 metres. Because I think if 100 metres becomes interesting. You get this flooding going on within the Amazon, Amazon basin, the, uh, which becomes almost like a Gulf of Bithynia area. That makes an interesting, like, combative zone. What about... Um, has Africa changed much? Africa no. hasn't really changed Fuck, much. That's a shame, because you need sudden flooding going on there. England's turned into a hopscotch. Yeah. Can, can you just go to Australia? Because I'll know whether that's right or not. Because I remember what it, I remember what it looked like when I looked at it. Maybe maybe I need to put it up 200 metres or 300 metres. No. Oh, no, no, no. Put it up to 200 metres. 200? Yep. 200 metres of flooding. Yeah, that's it. That's the map. So basically we have this massive cutting off, like Australia turns into this... What the fuck do you do there? Turns into two continents. Two continents. With an island in between. Yep. Okay, yep. What else happens around the world? India. India effectively get, cuts off, like almost like a separate... You know what the, the current Persian Gulf's like? It basically cuts through the top of India like that. And you have all this... The whole of Europe mostly floods and becomes almost like a island uh, archipelago. Say goodbye to most of Russia... Western part of Russia, anyway. Um, I think that when you start raising it to about, sorry, dropping it 200 meters, dropping, raising the raising. water 200 meters, it becomes very interesting. And go to America. America is very interesting. So you still got that massive conglomeration in the um, South America, where your, your uh, Rio de Plato kind of creates this massive valley of water. The Mississippi's the, flooded all the way up to the Great Lakes. It totally cuts. East Coast America out. Like, is there a connection between there, down there, if you kind of go around? Just. Uh, maybe we need to bump it up a couple more, a couple of metres. A couple of metres <laughs> higher. 
Um, oh, it does split North and South America. Yep. Oh, it's interesting. And Africa still looks like Africa, except for parts of North Africa. How high do we have to make it for Africa to start looking like an interesting... I don't know. 300? 300? Not that Africa isn't interesting, but... Yeah, still nothing much happening. A, it's amazing how much how high Africa is. So 300 metres, you start getting a really interesting archipelago on West Africa. Yeah, that's about it. Um, still looks like Africa down in the south. Okay. If you kind of look at continents, it's the one that hardly changes the most. We're at the 400 now, eh? Right, 400. A couple of inland lakes, that's about it. Fuck yeah, 500. Since you're playing God here. Okay, 500 metres of extra, of extra water. That's interesting now. But honestly, once you get to that point, the rest of the Earth doesn't resemble anything like the Earth. No, it's... Uh, it's a fictitious, you know... It's a fantasy world. Fantasy world. Yeah, a big chunk of southern Africa below the equator. Yeah, so... And the goal has hardly changed. Nah, so I reckon we just... I'll keep it at about 200 metres. Because, like, 200 metres is an interesting gameplay. Because you're not going to... 600... Surely, fuck, he's still going. Yeah, 600 turns. Congratulations, 600 meters of extra water turns Africa into a icky mess of water oh, and land. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting another beer. Do you want another wine? Yes, or? please. Yep. I'll pause. Okay, and we're back. Cheers. Cheers. So you were saying that. Um, they were kind enough to turn the music down for us when it was just us in the bar. Yep. And now there's a lot of other people. Yep. I think they need to crank it up crank a bit. Crank it back up. So. so we might wrap up it now before it becomes too loud. Good idea. And then we'll start a new one. And for the, our Patreons. For the Patreons. And the noise levels will be better, I think. They'll kind of recalibrate. I think so. Hopefully. Um, and, well, without giving too much away... Um, Sign up to be a Patreon because we're going to talk a little bit more um, around the paper. Yes, around the interview and the paper. Yes. And um, yeah, wishing you guys a very Merry Christmas and yeah, Happy New Year. I hope it's safe and um, see you on the other side. 2021. Sounds awesome. Thank you guys for your ongoing support and listening to the show and downloading the show. And um, yeah, as Kanna said, become a Patreon. It always helps. Absolutely. Might actually buy some uh, recording equipment in 2021, yeah? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.